Welcome to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm your host, Sean Rowley, and with me is my co-host, my sidekick, and the guy I forced to do this show every week by holding his canoe hostage, Derek Specht. So in the winter months here in Canada, usually when the lakes are frozen and the rivers are frozen and nothing but ice everywhere, it's the time of year where the only light your canoe and kayak will see is when you open that garage door to get the snow shovel out. So after you suffer your second heart attack after shoveling the end of your driveway because the plow went by, you collapse in your big comfy couch and pray for summer. You dream of the clear waterways on sunny days and the couple of white fluffy clouds maybe floating by overhead as the birds chase each other in the breeze. Alas, it's still winter, so you turn on your TV and you work that channel-changing thumb on the remote, hoping something will catch your eye. Wouldn't a paddling show be great? Watching people paddling in various locations around the world, instead of an armchair quarterback, you could be a couch kayaker. Unfortunately, in the Paddling Adventures radio house, there is no Paddling Adventures TV. But it's not a bad idea. As luck would have it, though, there is the Real Paddling Film Festival. Yes, that time of year again when paddling films are all gathered together and put on display for your viewing pleasure. Time to live vicariously through others until you can live it for yourself. They say on their website that you'll be inspired to explore rivers, lakes, and oceans, push extremes, embrace the paddling lifestyle, and appreciate the wild places. Well, I have to say that it doesn't take much to inspire me to explore rivers and lakes, and I have embraced the paddling lifestyle and appreciate the wild places, but to push extremes. I've seen previews of some of the movies on the tour this year, and I have to wonder at the sanity or the insanity of some of these paddlers. Uh, The places that they dare dip their paddles and the risks they take, I don't know, not my cup of tea as it were, but Like a car accident on the highway, you you really can't look away. It's fascinating to watch them hurling down the white water and uh, in the kayaks, barely missing the rocks and wondering how they make it through without a scratch. Yeah, like I say, not my cup of tea, but hey, they're out there and people are enjoying it and more power to them. And after the adrenaline junkies get their fill, there are movies of pure serendipity. Paddling a canoe through the most gorgeous and breathtaking scenery on the planet. Films that let you relive adventures you've taken yourself in years past. Paddling across a lake in the early morning. The surface is like glass and a mist is slowly burning off as the morning sun rises. And it just brings back memories of peaceful times. And then, the historians and documentarians take over the screen. They discuss what has happened, what is happening, and what is probably going to happen to the paddling places we cherish. They fill our brains with facts and figures and all sorts of gobbledygook that is meant to scare us into standing up and taking notice, and possibly just doing something about it to help change things for the better. And if we truly love to get out and paddle, are they not correct in making us feel this way? So instead of sitting there in your big comfy chairs or recovering from your snow shoveling heart attacks, you should be flipping on your computers, checking your smartphones and tablets, and heading on over to realpaddlingfilmfestival.com. R-E-E-L, realpaddlingfilmfestival.com. And see where and when the film tour is hitting a place near you. But check this out. You don't have to be a snow shoveler in Canada to see these films. Nope, the Real Paddling Film Festival is an international event. There are screenings all across Canada and all across the United States. And as of right now, there's dates going to be announced soon for screenings all over the world. So go check out realpaddlingfilmfestival.com. Find their pages that list all the upcoming screenings across Canada and the United States and find a screening near you. Go see what other people in the paddling community are doing, support some talented filmmakers, and for a couple hours, relax and live vicariously through others, especially if the snow is keeping your canoe and kayak in a dark garage. This portion of the show is brought to you by Algonquin Outfitters. Algonquin Outfitters, providing quality Algonquin Park backcountry adventures for the entire family since 1961. Whether you want to get on the water for a day or a week, The friendly staff at Algonquin Outfitters can help you out. Find them online at algonquinoutfitters.com or visit one of their 12 locations. Algonquin Outfitters, your outdoor adventure store, with locations in Algonquin Park, Muskoka, and Halliburton. 
You are listening to Paddling Adventures Radio on Reno Viola Outdoors. Do you enjoy getting on the water with a paddle in your hand? If so, this show's for you. Listen to Paddling Adventures Radio every Wednesday at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. and see what's happening in the world of paddle sports. Paddling Adventures Radio, whether you're close to home or far away, grab a paddle and get on the water. Back at the beginning of February, Keith McAllister, the owner of Langford Canoes in uh, Dwight, Ontario, unfortunately passed away. Uh, Langford Canoe bills itself as Canada's oldest canoe company, but there's people that dispute that uh, simply because there are older, smaller shops here and there. But uh, McAllister's son, Steve, uh, the company president, says that unless you're building a couple hundred boats a year, you don't really count. There are probably hundreds of guys in Canada who've been building canoes in their garage for years, but they don't really count as companies. And I can see his point about that. So we decided we were going to catch up with one of our buddies, Mike Burns from the Windsor area. And he builds cedar strip canoes in his garage. He's been doing it for a number of years now. And, uh, you know, he does it as a hobby. He does it because he loves it. Uh, he's, he, he really enjoys the look of a cedar strip and paddling a cedar strip. Uh, personally, I think he likes the attention he gets when people see it and, and uh, you know, they fawn over, over the work he's done. And then to find out it's handmade is, is just something else. So recently, uh, Derek decided that he'd give Mike a call and chat him up about his hobby, and here's what he had to say. Mike is with us today. We're going to be talking about uh, cedar strip canoe building. Mike's uh, built a few of them. And uh, so we'll uh, just get right into it. So, Mike, uh, thanks for joining us. I appreciate it. Oh, uh, thanks for asking me. So uh, what prompted you to start building Cedar Strip Canoes? Uh, I think it was back in about 2007. Um, it was on the docks of Opiongo, actually. Uh, we were having a, uh, a gathering of sorts. We were doing a resupply mission for uh, Mark uh, uh, Marcus there that was on the show there last week. Okay, yep, yep. And uh, um, there's a few of us getting together, and Dave Harmon had a cedar stripper, um, Osprey. And, uh, you know, I never met him before, and we're on the docks, and they're loading his cedar stripper up on the uh, their uh, shuttle. And I'm looking at it, and I says, oh, that's nice, you know. <laughs> and my wife was with me, and we, you know, we take the shuttle down to Opiango, and then we're doing the portage to Peru. And, you know, I'm carrying my uh, Kipoa. And all of a sudden, there goes Dave carrying his uh, cedar stripper. And, you know, we land over on, uh, on Peru there, and we're paddling, and he, you know, he's paddling up beside us, and I'm looking at the thing and talking to my wife about it, how beautiful it is, and he's, like, keeping up with us. And I'm like, okay, i got to make one of those damn things. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's when it started. Uh, and then, of course, you know, after we got to our campsite there in Big Crow and uh, start talking to him and, you know, 101 questions and and you know i do a little bit of woodworking so uh, uh yeah that that was the start of it right there so you've been build you've been doing other woodworking projects as well so it was it wasn't much of a transition to get into building a canoe i guess no no not at all i you know i uh, more of a hobby you know cabinets and custom stuff and, okay you know i had uh, some machinery and stuff so yeah i wasn't worried about the woodworking aspect of it now, the, the cedar stripper that you saw, did he build it himself? Did Dave build it? Yes, he did. Yeah, he built from scratch. So um, he must, you must have got a lot well, of pictures no, from him. I built it from scratch. He, he got the strips. He, he bought a kit. That's what it was. Okay. He bought a kit, yeah. And, uh, but, you know, I asked him all the questions, and, uh, but I wanted to make it mine from scratch. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. How many canoes have you built so far? Uh, I got three. Three now. Three of them? Yeah. Uh, the first one I built was in 2008. Uh, uh, solo Osprey and Dave Harmon's was also a Osprey, so it was almost a no-brainer. I just wanted a solo canoe, and there was some other styles out there, but I just I just wanted to go with something that uh, uh, I was familiar with seeing, you know. And I knew I could ask them any questions, you know, if I had any complications, as you know, along the build. And so that was in 2008, and that that one came in at around 48 pounds. I had some problems. 40 pounds, that's not too bad. Yeah, it's not too bad. And then uh, the second one, I, I wanted to build a, a tandem canoe. That was a Winisk. That's 18 feet long. And that one came in at 57 pounds. 
I was really happy with that. That's it, not much more. That's pretty close. Yeah, yeah. And it, actually, it's one pound lighter than my fiberglass Kevlar Kipwa. <laughs> so, you know, I, I made the strips really thin and stuff. And then in 2010, and that was my last canoe, I built another uh, a solo Osprey. Um, I wanted to make it lighter. I was trying to make it lighter. so I made. Oh, see, I rebuilt. Um, yeah, just, yeah, and try to refine some stuff, and, you know. And uh, <laughs> at the very end, when I was said and done, I was only two pounds lighter than my very first one. <laughs> so that was the last canoe I built. So, I, yeah, three right now. <laughs> I got two solo canoes and the one tandem. Right on, right on. Yeah. So I was one of the questions I want to ask you is how you chose your design. So I guess the, the solo one kind of speaks for itself. You wanted something that was light and easy to handle, and you can do solo trips. So how did you choose your, uh, you said it was a Winisk? Yeah, the Winisk, yeah. Um, uh, John Winter's designs, you know, I, I did a lot of uh, research online and, uh, you know, looking at all those different styles and stuff. And, and uh, you know, I like the Swift canoes, and uh, he's helped design the uh, Swift lines. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Swift uh, carries a Winisk, so I, I really like that uh, size and the shape of the hull and everything. So so when it comes to shape of hull, is it uh, is a stable canoe, is it? Oh, yeah. It, yeah, it's a big sucker. Actually, uh, uh, Sean and I have taken that on a trip, and, uh, yeah, it's you can put a lot of gear in it, and uh, it's a beautiful canoe. For, as far as, like, for the whole build, did you build all thwart seeks, yokes, and... Yes, I built everything from scratch. I... Uh, I uh, Picked up the wood, or or had the wood brought in through uh, some lumber place, uh, the Western Red Cedar, all of okay. planks, uh, ash gunnels, uh, everything's from scratch. Um, the only thing I didn't build from scratch was my first canoe, the yoke. I ordered a yoke online, okay. And uh, but after that, I, cop- I sort of copied that yoke for the rest of the canoes. Mm-hmm. And the seats are all uh, natural cane weave seats. Oh, you did cane? You did yeah. caning? Yeah, natural cane, yeah. Very nice. It was, uh, yeah, there's probably about eight to ten hours just weaving those seats alone. <laughs> I can imagine. And then when I was building the Winnis, uh, the, you know, the Tamil canoe, I, I was kidding with my wife. I said, you know, you're going to probably be sitting in that seat. Uh, how about you weave your own seat? And <laughs> uh, she said, no freaking way. <laughs> <laughs> your project, you weave it. <laughs> it's yours. <laughs> <laughs> it's yours, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So uh, when you... You fiberglass it, I guess, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, fiberglass inside and out. Now, have you done fiberglassing before? Um, in my old, uh, I used to be a model maker, and we used to uh, work with fiberglass uh, um, for patterns and stuff. And so I sort of had an idea how to use it, but um, to, you know, I never canoe or I'm uh, sorry, I never uh, fiberglass a canoe before. So mm-hmm. it was, uh, that was a large learning you know. Yeah, I can imagine. I was, uh, I've had, I have a canoe build that I have on the back burner for a few years now, and that's one of my, uh, that's one of the parts that I've always been concerned about is how am I going to go about doing the fiberglassing? Yeah, I did a lot of research. Uh, you know, YouTube wasn't really that popular when I first started the first canoe. Okay. I mean, nowadays you just spray at your fingertips. If you Everything's learn, there. Yeah. If you want to learn how to do anything on a canoe? Just go on YouTube. Yeah. And if you know, if I saw a lot of the videos there, I would probably, you know, uh, would have done a better job my first canoe. But uh, I had some problems on the first one. Uh, the, uh, uh, the inside of the hull there, the, the fiberglass, I wasn't squeegeeing. Oh, so you had some bubbles and enough. overlaps yeah, I got, and flaps? I got some wrinkles and stuff. Yeah. But, you know, it was a learning curve, and <laughs> I was quite disappointed. And, uh, yeah, but the second and third canoe, of course, are almost perfect. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Work out the the, uh, the bugs. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. Now, last time I looked, uh, I, I saw you post something recently that you were making your own paddle. Yeah. Like, have you made a lot of paddles? Uh, no, actually, it's strange. Everyone says, well, how many paddles have you made? And actually, until this past winter, I haven't made any. So I, oh, yeah? started, I just started making a couple straight paddle, uh, straight shaft paddles, uh, uh, just uh, keep me busy the, the winter months here. Got it. So you're going to build bench shaft? Uh, I will. Build, yeah, and probably next year I'll bench uh, or make a bench shaft for sure. Um, but I, I just like the straight paddle design. I, I, I use a bench shaft myself, uh, on this, even on a solo canoe. Right, I'm, I always use it, and uh, yeah, I try something different. I'll make some straight paddles. Exactly. Yeah, something you've built yourself. So when you when you after you've built these canoes and, and the paddles and what, what does it do for you? What what do you get out of it paddling your own canoe with your own paddle? Yeah, you know, 
it's uh, it's like a, a piece of art for me when it you know it's it makes me proud taking out on the water. Um, you know, you spend six to nine months making these things, and uh, you know, you think about all the trips you're gonna do as you're making. <laughs> exactly. Yes. And then when you finally hit the water, you know, it's like oh, this is nice. You know, and I take a lot of pride on this on the, the canoes that I made, and uh, I find it really uh, rewarding. Must stress you a bit just taking on a trip, though, worrying about scratching the bottom and. That's another thing too. Yeah, I. <laughs> I have the fiberglass canoes, and, you know, you run the shores, or, you know, you, you don't care how you land up to get up to the portages. And, and when you're on the Cedar Stripper, you're like, okay, you're not going to run uh, the bow up on the sandy beach. You're going to go parallel with it and step in the water and get your feet wet. It's you know, a little bit more the rocks, and, and <laughs> you want to be careful, because when you do hit a rock, you you know, you got some repairs to do. And, uh, you know, I've hidden rocks, and I've actually destroyed one hull. I had to redo it. But oh, yeah? And I, I think I had Sean with me on the Winniskin. We're going McCraney, and he was in the bow. And we hit a rock, and we just, we just, just stopped dead. You know, oh. I just cringe, right? And I was like, I was ready to throw him over. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't his fault, but I mean, just when you hit rocks like that, just you cringe. And uh, the, my last canoe, the solo canoe, there uh, I took down the Beaver River near uh, uh, towards uh, Meaford, you know, Beaver Valley. Okay, yep. And I, I took her down. Mm, and the water was really shallow, and the rocks were rolling there, and I, I scraped the, the crap out of it, and I brought her out of the water, and, and the, the, the epoxy was separating from the, from the uh, fiberglass. Oh, wow. Yeah, and as it turns out, it wasn't the rock's fault. It was my fault. <laughs> that bad epoxy job? Yeah, <laughs> what happened, um, in between layers of epoxy, it's got to be a chemical adhere, and, and if you wait too long uh, between uh, put on the layers. Oh, I see. You just, don't get a chemical yes. uh, <clears throat> here. It, you you got to rely on a mechanical, which means you have to sand it up, scuff it up, so you put on the next layer and it'll stick. Well, I waited too long between coats and it. and it, it separated and it was coming off in flakes. And so that was like eh, six, seven months of, of repairs to fix that, you know. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, you know, go out every night after work and spend an hour scraping off some epoxy and it was very depressing i <laughs> <laughs> can't imagine all the extra work is like oh no yeah yeah but it's all fixed up good to go <laughs> yeah excellent so that, that's the that's the rough part about the building process what did you enjoy about the building process of, of what's the what's the pleasure did you gain from building your own canoe uh it's just gratifying I, and you know as you're building it you just from from cutting the raw pieces of wood and, and then making the strips and the bead in the cove and and then you're you're putting the strips along the mold stations and it's building up to the center of the canoe and and then when you finally take off the mold station and roll it over it's like uh, I don't know it's just the whole process mm -hmm. uh, you know makes you feel good <laughs> now did you use any you didn't tack it or anything or staple it you just used glue and and uh, and wedges and stuff to hold her in place or yeah correct yeah there's two processes the staple method which you know as you're putting the strip on the uh, mold stations you just staple in place and you yeah. just go 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 and you know there's no waiting but uh, i use the stapleless method which is yeah in the bead and cove you put the glue in there and then you put the strip on and then use some wedges and clamps and and you can probably do a couple strips per side per night kind of thing. So it's a real slower process. Slower, but you don't have that blemish of the nail or staple holes. Yeah, yeah. I was trying to get a flawless uh, finish, and so you mm -hmm. don't got those little holes. You know, it was just my preference, and uh, a lot of people do it that way. It just takes longer. That's all. So just longer, yeah. And like yeah. you said, it was like what about nine months to build a canoe? Uh, yeah, the first one, I, uh, first one, eleven months. I took my time. You know, you get home from work and you go for a couple hours, and then. Uh, it's just in the weekends, whatever time you can, <laughs> you can yeah, just available, you know. And then uh, the other canoe is probably less time, maybe six to six months was on the average. Okay. And okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, about 150 to over 150 hours for fun, if not maybe 250 hours. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, a lot of time. <laughs> I suppose just whenever you can steal some time away to do it. Yeah, it's exactly. A, it's yeah. hard to balance that work and home life uh, ratio sometimes, I guess. And when it comes time to epoxy, you know, uh, I had my wife help me uh, do the first one, and then I had a help of friends uh, help me with the second and third one because it's, it's an all-day process. Yeah, and, and you got to move quick. It's... <laughs> you got to do it right, otherwise you're, 
you can script a whole project, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> That's probably the worst part of the build, is just uh, the idea of the epoxy. Is, so that would be the hardest part of oh, the whole sure. process? Oh, sure. It makes me the nervous. It, to this day, if I build another one, it's like, oh, geez, here, here we go. <laughs> For the best, I hope you got the right amount of yeah, hardener exactly. in your epoxy, and you got to, you know, and you got to squeegee, it, you know, not too much off, and yeah, it's, it's a lot of work. <laughs> Did you, what, what epoxy system did you use? When I was looking at researching mine, I was looking at using the West system epoxy. Did yeah. you, is that what you used as well? Yeah, the very first one I used the West system for sure. Um, and then the second canoe, uh, my Winnisk, I used the West system because I was familiar with it. And then I, then for the third canoe, I thought, you know, I was looking at the prices and it was like $650 approximate for the, uh, for the uh, cover kit, you know, coming okay. with the fiberglass and the epoxy and and, oh, they got the East system. Oh, look at that. It's like $200 cheaper. Oh, yeah? So I went with the East system, and then um, I was blaming that for my epoxy problem when it was delaminating, but it was my problem. <laughs> it was my fault. It wasn't the epoxy. So, so uh, and, and, and when I was using the East system, I, I didn't notice really any huge difference of applying it. Not, it was almost the same to me. So. It's just a different, is it a different setup time, or is it? No, everything's the same properties and everything. Yeah, it's uh, uh, just called East. <laughs> yeah. But uh, made from a different manufacturer, but it was a lot cheaper. Why? I'm not too sure. But, but the uh, quality was still there. It was still... Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Now, you, uh, do you varnish it, or do you just wax? Like, what do you get, what do you protect the epoxy with? Just, do you just yeah, wax yeah, it, or...? Yeah, uh, um, the epoxy will turn a yellow. Okay from the sunlight if you don't uh, cover it with a good marine varnish. Okay, so you did marine varnish it. Oh, yeah, yeah. And there's probably about two or three coats of, uh, of varnish on the out. Yeah, three coats on the outside, probably two on the inside. Okay. And then, uh, you know, I touch it up every once in a while. The scratches, you can just touch it up with a, a little brush, and the scratches kind of disappear with the scratches. Eh? So. Now, throughout the process, was there anything in particular you came across that you thought, well, I can shave a, uh, you know, a few ounces here, a few ounces there? Was that, I imagine the more coats of uh, varnish you put on, it's going to add some weight. Or if you use a different uh, thickness of, uh, of glass for the fiberglass, it could save weight. What, where did you find you could save weight? Uh, pretty much the, the epoxy in the glass, that's a set, that's a set you know, uh, that weight's not going to change. Maybe you could save a a little bit, maybe a pound or so, if you try to thin out the epoxy. Uh, you can get away with two layer, two layers of uh, epoxy on the inside of the canoe. The outside, you definitely want three. Just for the strength. Yeah. On, on the, my second canoe, the Winnisk, I, I sort of I brushed very lightly or I squeegeed the epoxy on really thin as possible, right? Okay. And trying to, you know, thin down. But, you know, less epoxy, and then you got to sand it, so you don't want to hit the cloth when you're sanding and you want to give some protection to when you hit these rocks, right? You don't yeah. want to be hitting no cloth. So, and um, you can make the wind, the strips thinner. Uh, the standard is a quarter thick, and I went down to three sixteenths. And you know, you save a few pounds there. Um, of course, the varnish that adds a few pounds. The density of the wood is huge too. Like mm-hmm. um, the the ash gunnel or whatever. You know, the wood's got to be good and dry, and uh, the density of the wood makes a huge difference. I go thinner uh, gunnels. Uh, Instead of three-quarter thick, I maybe went to five-eighths. Uh, you know, my decks, make little tiny decks in the bow and the stern. I'd thin those right down. Um, Did you use any special woods for the decks? I, uh, yeah, every canoe was a little bit different. I, mm-hmm. little, uh, some some I had cherry, some of walnut, but I, most of them I put a strip of, you know, a lighter wood in, down the middle like maple to, you know, help uh, distinguish the deck, give it a different look. Every canoe is all different yes, colors, yes. you know. Yeah, you, you can get pretty fancy, you know. Yeah. Now, for anybody else, or like me, if you for what advice could you provide the, for anybody who's thinking of building a cedar strip canoe? Any pitfalls that you've learned from that you could pass on to to help somebody else avoid a mistake? Uh, research, just tons <laughs> of research. research. That's all I can say. Is uh, uh, thank God for YouTube. I mean, just go on there and you learn so much. Um, I might just read up a lot of materials. Definitely, definitely buy the Canoe Craft uh, book made by uh, Ted Moore. Ted Moore's uh, craft, uh, Canoe. Yeah, I have his book myself. I mean, yeah, that book's a must. I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah. But now, I know that Ted Moore, he actually offers courses up in Peterborough, Ontario. Have yeah. you? Did you consider taking the course yourself? 
Uh, yes, I did, but it was just it was a little bit too far away for me to you know go up. I would that would be awesome actually. Yeah, you'd have to stay actually in Peterborough for the week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, no, I did think about it. It just it didn't work out, you know, driving up that way and whatnot. Yeah. And you know, I go online at all these websites, the Green Valley Boat Works and uh, uh, NOAA's, and just do a lot of a lot of research and. And uh, that's all I did because I didn't know anyone myself that built it. Besides Dave Harmon, he he was yes. you know a lot of help you know, and I did send him pictures here and there as I was building. I said, "What the heck's going on? <laughs> this ain't working out." And and he'd go out in his barn in the middle of the winter. And he'd go out there with his camera and he'd take some pictures underneath and and send them back to me. And then you know even the designer the that made the uh, the print the, the prints there yeah uh, the design I emailed them and you know question them, you know, design Steve, right, things Steve are not working out, and they just, you know, laugh at me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, just a lot of research. That's, that's. Exactly. Yeah, that's all. <laughs> Okay, well, excellent. Uh, I want to thank you very much, Mike, for joining us on uh, Paddling Adventures Radio to talk about your canoe building and your uh, your your skills at making uh, floating art. Yeah, no problem. Thank you very much for having me. Okay, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. This portion of the show is brought to you by Algonquin Outfitters. Algonquin Outfitters, providing quality Algonquin Park backcountry adventures for the entire family since 1961. Whether you want to get on the water for a day or a week, the friendly staff at Algonquin Outfitters can help you out. Find them online at algonquinoutfitters.com or visit one of their 12 locations. Algonquin Outfitters, your outdoor adventure store, with locations in Algonquin Park, Muskoka and Halliburton. You are listening to Paddling Adventures Radio on Reno Viola Outdoors. Do you enjoy getting on the water with a paddle in your hand? If so, this show's for you. Listen to Paddling Adventures Radio every Wednesday at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. and see what's happening in the world of paddle sports. Paddling Adventures Radio. Whether you're close to home or far away, grab a paddle and get on the water. Up in Algonquin Park, for those that know know the park in Ontario, there is um, lots of historical significance in the park. At the north end is on Cedar Lake is a place called Brent. It used to be the Brent Township. It's a little little town. There used to be a little town. Now there's just a couple of cottages and whatnot left. And along the Highway 60 corridor through, I guess you call it the central sort of split Algonquin Park. There's Canoe Lake. There is something called the Brent Run. It goes from Canoe Lake up through the park all the way to Brent. It is, and then you turn around and you come back. It is 162 kilometers and they say 22 of it is portages. Yeah, 162 kilometer total canoeing and portaging up to Brent and back. Now, as it goes, the origins, as they say, the origins of the Brent Run dates back roughly 80 years. The first official Brent Run was completed. um, 1934. Yeah, 1934. Uh, That record stood... Oh, no, wait, wait. In 1948, uh, there, there was another run done by another a couple of guys. And that record uh, was 27 hours. They took them 27 hours to get from Canoe Lake all the way up to Brent and back. And that record stood for approximately 42 years. So 42 year, late years later, in the summer of 1990, Two counselors from Camp Amek set out to challenge this record. And they're apparently very strong paddlers, very familiar with the lakes and the portages, as they were camp counselors at this at this camp. And 23 hours later, the 42-year-old record was broken. This was in 1990. So 23 hours. And I believe that record still stands, does it not? That record still stands. 
There have been reports of other people doing the run. It is not a really well-known, popular uh, run where there's crowds of people doing it every year. Um, I was, I've was i been tripping through Algonquin Park for many years before I finally heard about it the first time. Yeah, you don't hear about it much. It's uh, it's not a common trip. It's uh, Some of the people who know the folklore of the park, they're more familiar with the Brent Run. But uh, anybody who's not initiated into it just would, wouldn't really hear much about it. It's not really publicized. It's not really challenged a lot. No, if you're just a casual paddler and you're up there every so often uh, in the area, whatever, you, chances are you, you'll never hear of it. Yeah. But it exists and there are rules to doing the Brent Run. And if you don't follow these rules, then even if you do the Brent Run, um, it's not official. Mm-hmm. So the rules as it's laid out, number one, you have to leave directly from Canoe Lake. Although there, there's numerous starting points on the Canoe Lake, uh, it's generally accepted that you have to leave from Camp Amac. Yes. Okay. The second one, there is a, a route through the park that must be followed. Yes, it's a desired route. It's a sort of a planned route. Yes. Um, just to hit the, the big names, it's starting at Canoe Lake, into the Joe Lakes, through Burnt Island Lake, into the Otter Slides, through Big Trout Lake, Longer Lake, Red Pine Lake, Burnt Route, Pearly Lake, Catfish Lake, Narrow Bag Lake, and into Cedar Lake, where you turn around and you do it all again in reverse. But you have to, once you get to Cedar Lake, you actually have to go to the Brent Cabin. Yeah, there, there's a the Brent tur- store. It's, it's the Brent store. It's the turnaround point. Right. So you, the people are expected to document it or whatnot from that point. Yeah, back in the day, it was tradition that you make a phone call from... Uh, the store, the rent store. Yes. And nowadays and it's accepted that you take a, like a cell phone picture or just a, a picture of you in front of the, of the Brent store with a timestamp, date stamp, whatever to prove that you were there. Right. Right. I mean, they, there's a, even a, a whiteboard out front that you could write. Yeah. You could write something write or the time whatever. Yeah. You were here. Yeah. yeah. Um, and now with the, the, uh, advent of the, the spot trackers and stuff like that, mm-hmm. you can actually keep track of where you were and people can look online and say, yeah, they were there and, uh, and they can see what it's time official. it is. Right. Um, now, so that's, the, that's the route that you have to, to take. Now, uh, the run must be completed in a cedar strip canoe. So cedar strip, cedar canvas. Mm-hmm. Canoe. Yes. It can't be one of these newfangled, lightweight <laughs> Kevlar Fusion, yes. fourteen pound. Yes. <laughs> no techno. No technological advance. No. It it just sort of makes it it um, uh, what's keeps the word? tradition. They want to they want to maintain the tradition yeah. of the trip. Yeah. It, yeah. The integrity of it, and that yeah, you're doing it the same way they did eighty years ago. Exactly. Yes. You know, because otherwise that that's not right. The times, this is the weirdest part of this trip. The times are rounded to the nearest hour. Yeah, I thought that was unusual. So if you manage to do this in 27 hours and 29 minutes, they consider that 27 hours. But if you do it in 27 hours, 31 minutes... That's considered 28 hours. <laughs> so you, it, it's almost like if you're near the half hour, you want to you want to rush to make that cut off that one or two minutes. Yes. And especially if you're getting close to actually breaking the record. It matters a lot. It, it really matters a lot. So those are the rules. There's not a lot of rules. It's pretty simple. It's, it is pretty Maintains simple. Maintains a tradition. And you've got to keep it straight. Mm-hmm. So this June... Last year, uh, one of our fellow friends there, Mike Burns, mm-hmm. who does the Cedar Strip Canoes in Windsor area, him and I were talking and we thought, we ought to try this. The record being 23 hours. Sure, we can just break that record. No problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then we sobered up <laughs> and we said, you know what? Even if you don't break the record. Just challenging it. Just the challenge of doing the Brent run. 
it's it's just not something that's heard of much mm-hmm. anymore, right? It's sort of a a dying tradition, just like the meanest link, the big the big one that goes all around the Algonquin Park and hits some of the high spots. Um, even that isn't done as much, you know, like very often. And it's it's these little traditions, these little trips that really keep the the spirit of of the place and of of canoeing alive. Well, my sense of it is that society is getting softer as a whole, so. It's uh, people don't really challenge themselves to these things anymore. No, no. So, you know what? And yeah, we can go out and do a five day paddle or whatever. But this, you leave your starting point on Canoe Lake in the dark. That's sort of, you know, the tradition. That way, you know, just pre-dawn, you paddle all day, all night. And hopefully you're arriving back before the 24 hour period. Exactly. And it's still dark when you arrive back at the starting now finishing point. So you and Mike are going to challenge this Brent run. We are looking at challenging the Brent run in June. So are you bug season? What kind of stuff are you preparing for for this? Like this is a, this is a very challenging run to make that time. I've taken up going to church again. <laughs> Lots of praying. <laughs> Seeing a counselor to see if I'm insane. Yes, exactly. Um, no, you know what? It's it's a lot of upper body strength. It's a lot of just the uh, the cardio, especially the cardio, getting that going. Um, and dealing with the mental logistics. Like you have to plan out like gear and clothing and, and food and snacks. Like you, you have to take minimal. You're stuck the clothes on your back. And minimal gear, you're going to have maybe one spare paddle and a heavy as a tank cedar stripper canoe. That is going to be the heaviest part. You're not taking in a ton of gear that, because you're not camping. No, this, yeah, there's no stopping. You just, you're, it's a constant go. Yeah. If you stop, you're obviously never going to make the time. So it's like you're running 24 hours. You are not stopping for naps or sleeps. You're, you're eating on the run. You're making water on the run. It's uh, it's a very challenging trip and a very challenging event. It's going to take me a lot of workout to uh, just get up physically up to this challenge. I think for you guys, you know what? And I mean, like I said, we've been we've been going at this for the last year, him and Han discussing it, and you know. But over the last couple months, sort of thing, it's it's become more of a reality that you know what this is going to happen. You're actually going to do it. Yeah, we're actually going to do this, and you know, we've been going to the gym and whatnot, doing all all winter and. You know, doing the cardio and doing the rowing machines and getting that upper body strength going. and um, But yeah, when it comes to the gear, you, you know, yeah, it's your canoe, it's your life jackets. You know, you've got to bring rain gear because that time of year is unpredictable. A little bit of the bug gear and the bug juice. Uh, I mean, it's June. June in Canada. Yes. In the bush. You know, yeah. I mean, the mosquitoes are looking at us like, we're doing the Brent run yeah. stuck in you. Yeah. <laughs> Dinner call. You know, yeah. Um, so you're not, uh, now as I understand, you're not challenging this alone. No, we have Marcus from Mark in the park coming along. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, he's got a, his canoe partner is going to be, uh, buddy Scott that we've tripped with before. Um, they, they caught on to the idea after we were discussing it. I guess somebody had discussed, discussed it at one of the, uh, uh, canoe trips they were all on. And I guess this sort of bug got stuck in their brain and, um, next thing we know, we're hearing that, you know what, we're going to tag along with you guys. And we're like, hey, the more the merrier, because, you know, if something happens, then at least there's somebody, somebody yeah. there to, you know, help, help out a bit. Yeah. But on the other hand, if they're slowing us down, <laughs> <laughs> I like you guys, but, uh, well, you know, least, I don't very, like it that much. <laughs> if they take, <laughs> if they take up the tail position, at, le- at the very least they can, uh, practice their CPR for, uh, helping out. Well, I know, I, I know, I know. Scott had said that uh, he's going to put a stick on the front of his canoe, and he's going to dangle a bottle of rum off of it. So it's just a little bit of a difference from the old stick and carrot for yes. the for the for the donkey, you know, and get them going. But you know what? It, it's it's definitely a challenge. I mean, we're getting older, and you know, we're prone to stupid things, and yes. this falls into that category. Um, but it's something. Something different, something that keeps a, a you know, we're we're Broadly big into the horizons. Toronto area, the the the, yes. the 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 Algonquin area, and it's a tradition of Algonquin, and it's a tradition that deals with canoes, and it's it brings brings us together as a group, and two people out in a canoe, together working as a team, and yeah, you know what, 
there there's that aspect of it and it's fun mm-hmm. it sounds like it'll be a blast it's always nice to personally challenge yourself as as years go on it is and i mean there's other people that have done it um that have been nowhere near the record and they swore they would never do it again yet a year two years later they're back out there doing it again <laughs> um <laughs> getting a lot faster but not breaking the record and i i mean I think at some point it's about more than just breaking the record. Uh, as, mu- as much as that would be great because the record has stood since for, what, 26 years now? Mm-hmm. You know, so to break a 26-year-old record that was originally broke, that originally broke a 42-year-old <laughs> record. Yes. You know, I mean, that's that's cool. That's yes. an accomplishment. Yes. And, you know, sort of passing the torch sort of thing and sort of proves that the, the paddling tradition is alive. Is, is alive yes. And as well. Um, so yeah, we're, we're going to get all the gear together. We're, we're planning out, you know, what we need to bring and how we're going to work the portages and how we're going to work the paddling, you know, cause it's, it's a race. I mean, you're going to be racing it. So whether you do 20 strokes each side and switch constantly for, for 20 and I'm saying 22 hours, cause that's what we got to do to break the record. Um, you know, and when you get to the portage, you know, somebody's carrying the canoe, someone's carrying the pack with the, the water filter and the, the power bars and the Gatorade crystals <laughs> and, you know, the, the, the extra gear that you brought along just in case, like the, um, rain jackets on a sunny day. Heat blanket. You know, yeah. Thermal, those thermal sheet things. Yeah. You know, and, uh, an emergency tarp just in case it gets, you know, that bad. Um, because like I say, with that time of year, you just don't know. But yeah, you, you know what? We'll, we'll get all that. And do you, you got to figure out how you're going to work the portages. Like, does the guy with the pack just book it to the far end and start pumping water to fill up the, the Nalgene's? Uh, while the guy with the, the canoe just, you know, especially at trudges night. Trudges along. Trudges along yeah. at night. And, you know, you got your, your headlamps on and you got to carry extra batteries for that just in case. And, you know, um, or do you stick together? Do you, you know? Uh, yeah, there's lots of little the little intricacies that we're now at the point we got to start working that out. And... Uh, We'll see what happens there. The tough part is some of these portages. There's uh, one of the main portages, Unicorn Hill, is 2,345 meters. That's that's a huge challenge all on its own. I have done that portage um, coming out of Cedar into Catfish Lake. And it is the hill <laughs> I do believe my grandfather told me about he used to have to go to school uphill Up both, both ways. ways. <laughs> <laughs> that is the hill. Yes. I found it. It's called Unicorn Hill. It goes up and up and up. And it's not just a straight path up. It winds. So you're thinking, oh, well, this feels like you're getting to the top here and it's starting to even out. You're at the top. But no, it comes around a corner and it goes straight up again. And it does that probably seven, eight times. Now, that's a lot of work to get up that, but I think the challenge for you guys is once you're halfway through this trip and you turn around and come back and you have to go down that windy hill, that's going to be tough. That's going to be hard on the knees, working down that hill with a canoe on your back. Well, see, I th- it is if you're going south from Brent to canoe on the return trip, yeah. it is really steep to get to the top. Mm-hmm. But when you get to the top, it is a beautiful trip back down. Okay. Right. It's long and more of a gradual. I mean, there's steep parts, but it's more of mm-hmm. a gradual trip down. Like it's one of those ones that you wish you had a, a toboggan and could just zoom straight down. Yeah. But when we're going there, it's, it's that nice gradual going up, but then, and it's a long, long going up <laughs> and then coming down that hill is winding and yeah. it is steep, yeah. and it, and you got to be really careful because that's when an accident is going to happen, mm-hmm. especially if you're tired. It, oh yeah, at at the time you were you hit the portage that portage for the first time, you should be about eight or nine hours into it. I would think so. Yeah, and uh, then on the way back, you're going to be on your eleventh hour type thing. Yeah, and so that that's going to be a challenge all on its own. Well, the way I figure it, if um if we need to do twenty two hours. Then you want to be up at Brent within nine hours, and it seems eleven hours seems to be the the average. 
And I say nine hours because you know you're going to be tired coming back. You're going to be tired plus on the return trip, it's going to be nighttime. Right. So you are definitely going to be slower on the return trip. Mm -hmm. So you can't just say, if I'm at Brent in 11 hours, that means I'll be back at Canoe in 11 hours. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. (laughs) So I figure it's going to take at least two hours longer on the return trip. So if we can make it to Brent in nine hours, that gives us those two extra hours to make 22. That's my plan. (laughs) The plan. (laughs) So when we're up at Brent at 15 hours. (laughs) (laughs) So that is the Brent run up in Algonquin Park. Mm -hmm. And I guess, and I mean, we've, we've done it. I mean, I usually do, uh, a Father's Day trip this time of year anyway, in June. Mm-hmm. So I'm, it's the bugs and whatnot anyway. So we're going to be doing the bugs. We're going to be doing all the portaging, all the paddling. But the benefit we have is the weekend we're doing it is the full moon. Ah, so yeah, on the regular so trip at night. That'll that'll help. That's that'll be a little bit of a bonus mm-hmm. that you're not doing it in pitch pitch black. Yeah, there will be some full moon light helping us out. And there should be enough flies around that it should give you that protein bump for uh, for energy if you mm, swallow enough nom, nom, flies. Nom, nom. <laughs> and the amount of <laughs> mosquitoes or black flies, what do you prefer? <laughs> so, yeah, you know what? So we'll, we're going to keep you guys informed as we go along here, the different planning stages and, and whatnot that we go through um, to prepare for, for the Brent run. Mm-hmm. But if you, if you grab a map, uh, there's, there's, well, Jeff's maps, um, online, he has, he has the map of Algonquin Park and you can follow the route. You can Google, uh, the Brent run and there's a site, Brent run, B-R-E-N-T-R-U-N dot M-E. I, I don't think I've ever heard of an M-E. M-E. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they're on the internet and there's a whole thing. What is the Brent run? The Brent runs origins and records and stuff. Uh, this guy, Darren and Dave and Mark and Darren and, and, and the whole deal, they, they talk about the Brent run and what they've done. There's a couple of videos and, and whatnot. And, uh, it's definitely not a walk in the park. (laughs) 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 See what I did there? (laughs) Uh, it's, it's definitely not going to be easy, but you know what? It's a challenge. Like I say, we're getting older and we're running out of challenges (laughs) that are possible. Yes. Um, and we're going to give it a whirl, but, uh, yeah, keep, uh, keep a listen. And as things go along, we'll we'll do little updates on this, and uh, hopefully at the end of mid June, we're talking about how we broke the record and <laughs> how much fun it was, and how there was parties and parades yes. and ticker tape and fireworks and libations flowing. <laughs> <laughs> you make it sound like it's a big thing, but not many people are going to hear about it immediately. It's not really that big of a. Yeah, it isn't. It's it's <laughs> if if you're really in Algonquin Park, chances are you've heard it. Yeah. Um, but like I say, now that you've now that I've heard about it, and same with Mike. The minute we heard about it, and I told him what it was, and I mean even you, I'm telling you about it, and you're thinking, oh, why didn't you ask me to go? Exactly. Well, I, <laughs> I wasn't saying it out loud, but <laughs> oh, I know, I hear you. And uh, yeah, and you know what? I mean, we don't do it this year, then we'll give it another whirl maybe next year or the year after. And, uh, It'll take me about a year to get in shape to do this. You know what? And that's why I've been going to the gym since since last uh, fall. Once mm-hmm. canoe season ended, uh, you know what? We're hitting the gym and and whatnot because you got you got to be in shape for this. Otherwise, you're ju- you're just asking for problems. Exactly. You know. And uh, yeah, we're not we're not hauling Twinkies and <laughs> and uh, <laughs> chocolate bars and a bottle of root beer up and down here. Yes. You know, it's it's going to be it's going to be strategically done in regards to gear food mm-hmm. um you know like, like if i could keep a sugar rush going for 24 hours i would <laughs> <laughs> but that's not gonna happen well you know? i'm gonna wish you luck on this challenge sean well we'll keep you up and to I'll date follow you myself and yeah and you know what when the time actually comes to do it i'm gonna post the uh spot tracking link yes literally and follow the anybody yes. that wants to follow yes. our our trip uh to do the brent run and see how well we're doing yeah you know and and they can hoot and holler and and give us our congratulations, or they can point at us and, and laugh, going, oh, my God, these guys suck. 
<laughs> yeah, we get a whole bunch of yeah. people out at uh, the crack of dawn the following day with cowbells and ring you across the dock into the year uh, into your turn. That's exactly it. <laughs> so keep an ear out, and uh, like I say, we'll post some stuff on the web page and the the Facebook page as well. And uh, well, just looking forward to some fun. If you like the show you are listening to right now, you can listen to it and many more just like it on Reno Viola Outdoors Radio. Fishing, hunting, boating, and the rest of the great outdoors 24-7, 365 on Reno Viola Outdoors Radio. Download the free Reno Viola's Outdoor Radio app or visit WRVORadio.com online to see the lineup and schedule. That's Reno Viola Outdoors Radio. And enjoy the great outdoors. As spring is getting closer, you are probably starting to plan some trips or just dreaming about a day on the water. Here are some events to help you get ready. March 16th through 20th is the Toronto Sportsman Show. March 19th and 20th is the Ottawa Outdoor and Travel Show. April 16th, the Kitchener-Waterloo Canoe Symposium at the Princess Twin Cinemas in Waterloo. Keep in mind, there are now less than 30 tickets left. Get yours now. Go to PaddlingAdventuresRadio.com to find links to these and other upcoming events. You've been listening to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Specht. We'll see you next time. <laughs>